Welcome to this week's Property Matters, the show that brings global trends to an Irish audience to help cha- to help shape your knowledge of the industry. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host today is myself, Carl Talman, and I will be joined in part by Gavin Gallagher of PropTech TV. So a few headlines to start um, some of the bigger news stories of the week. In a new study carried out by myhome.ie found a volume of home sales in the first six months of 2019 have increased by 1.2% on average nationally. However, the most significant increases were in commuter counties um, across both sales activity and values, despite the fact that um, the capital has seen declines. So the volume in the volume of sales in County Louth increased by 22.6%. Similar increases were seen in County Kilkenny and Leash and we'll be joined in studio later on the show by South Wicklow and North Wexford based estate agent Michael Kinsler of Kinsler Estates to discuss the marketplace there. But overall there were 25,192 property sales in the first half of 2019 compared to 24,882 in the same period of 2018. Um, now total value of residential sales in the first half of the year 7.2 billion. On a separate note, Dublin City Councillors have voted to limit the number of hotels being built in the city to halt the, quote, increasing erosion of cultural life and space, despite being warned by Dublin City Council planner John O'Hara that they could face legal action. And this is according to the journal.ie. Councillors from the Green Party, Social Democrats and Labour earlier this month called for a meeting to be held following the planned closure of the Bernard Shaw pub and venue in Portobello. The decision by councillors to, to sell council-owned land uh, near the venue to a developer has also has also come under scrutiny and caused controversy. Head of planning Richard Shakespeare said that it was a management function to initiate change to the development plan and that the management did not intend to do this. Now, the motion passed anyway, so it'll be interesting to watch how this plays out. Finally, costs associated with the receivership for Treasury Holdings, Spencer Dock, um, now total more than 16.6 million, according to the Irish Times earlier this week. Uh, EY was appointed as receivers to various retail units, undeveloped property and part developed sites owned by Spencer Dock Development Company back in January 2012 by NAMA. Most recent filings show that by the end of seven and a half years in receivership, there are receipts totaling 98.9 million and payments arising from the receivership total 98 million. Now, as mentioned here in studio, we've Gavin Gallagher of PropTech TV to help us make sense of one of the big PropTech stories of, I'm going to say the week, but possibly the month. This is the WeWork IPO. Gavin, you're very welcome. Thanks, Carol. Yeah, it's, I'd say it's the story of the year. <laughs> okay, okay. let's let's t- tell people who aren't familiar or haven't been following it. I think most of our listeners here would be aware of who and what WeWork is. It's a yeah. shared workspace, a uh, global shared workspace. Co-working business. Yeah. And in the last... Uh, in the last number of months, they were leading up to an IPO. So you might tell us, where do things start to go wrong, Gavin? Well, it's, um, I mean, the company has been around since 2010 and it's been rapidly growing the whole time and lots of great headlines over the last couple of years. And um, the last investment round that they did was with SoftBank and uh, it valued the company at $47 billion. So they've gone out there... Um, 
they haven't been sort of paying down 47 billion. Of course, they'd love it to be worth 47 billion. And uh, it was Scott Galloway, uh, Professor Scott Galloway of Stern University in New York, who, uh, as far as I'm aware, called it uh, and he just basically said this is bonkers this is it's the business is not worth 47 billion yeah there's actually a direct quote from him that that said any equity analyst who endorses this stock above a 10 billion valuation is lying stupid or both yeah yeah I read that and the Strong funny words. He, yeah he's, he's not he doesn't mince his words and um, I, I mean I think for the most part he's it's correct and then there's been various other people who have come out and talked about it as well I mean I think it's a good business and it's a great brand but the valuation is just catastrophic I mean anyone who thinks that this business is worth 47 billion and it's all the only reason it's it's said to be worth that is because the, a single investor decided to invest at that valuation. It's not, you know, the market didn't decide upon that. It was just this one investor who has a reputation for spending money uh, in order to kind of buy into the best deals as far as he's concerned. So he was also an investor in Uber and a lot of different businesses. And in order to kind of get traction, there's a kind of, he has a reputation for being very aggressive and going in and offering great terms to the founders, giving them much greater valuations than anyone else is prepared to offer them. So he's he's done that and the thing and everyone's been out there saying, okay, 47 billion. How do we get to that? The problem is that you've got mismatched durations. So the WeWork model works on the basis that they come in, they'll sign a 10 or 15 year lease with you, the landlord, and then they'll turn around and they'll go and offer it out on a desk by desk basis to people who will pay 300 a month. But that's the established co-working model. Like co-working is a relatively new buzz term now but to be fair Regis and Similar have been doing this for decades Well I mean with a Regis it's very similar except that you would have an own door office inside but it would be exactly the same model you you lease up uh, you know for 10 years you take a whole floor or two floors or a whole building split it all up into smaller units in this case when we work they go fractionalise that even more and they do it desk by desk And that's the community element And that's yeah and the community element is an important aspect I mean Mm -hmm. the fact is, is in the Regis thing they never paid much attention to that so one of the great things that we were did is is create like an app that allows you to communicate and this was one of the kind of things that stood out and made people feel like it's great that there's a community there so kudos to for, to we work for doing that but in the process of you know this whole bro culture and the and the rapid growth and everything um it seems that the the founders kind of got caught up in and the governance didn't get much of a look in. And some of the stuff that I've been reading is just chaotic. I mean, first of all, the, everyone knows at this stage about the word we was was basically copyrighted by, by Adam Newman, the founder, and owned, he owned the word, the, the word himself, the word we, which, I mean, since when is the word we, you know, some sort of a copyrighted word. And he sold it back to the company for 5.9 million when they decided. I mean, that says a lot, just right from the outset. But then if you look at some of the other stuff that was going on in the background, the, his, his wife had um, the right to choose the next successor for him. That was really interesting because she actually doesn't sit on the board. She doesn't sit on the board. One of the remarkable things about this is that it's an all-male board. Yes. First of all, uh, there was a bit of a calling out for that mm. purpose alone. And just recently, they've hired a, a female onto the board. And But the, the whole idea that the founder 
the founder's wife, who doesn't sit on the board, could basically veto anybody coming on to replace him in the event of his death or something like that. It just, it sent out all the wrong signals. And so Scott Galloway came out, said this, and then he was, a lot of people picked it up. And basically, he when he said that it's not worth more than 10 billion, suddenly people are out there saying, okay, 47, no. Within a few days, I think it was about six or seven days of the 47 billion, they came back and said they were prepared to value it between 20 and 30 billion. So suddenly it's lost 17 billion worth of value. Uh, That didn't get traction. Then they came out and said it would be valued between 8 and 12 billion. And it just keeps on falling. So what's happened now is the entire IPO has been shelved. And you can see why, because first of all, SoftBank... Uh Who, who invested at 47 billion valuation, they've now, they're looking at a, a 75% reduction in their capital. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, they're going around the world trying to raise money for a second fund. And so who's going to be investing into that fund when they've mm-hmm. just lost 75? Yeah, but Jess, uh, you know, okay, you say that the IPO may well be shafted and of course that might happen. Um, However, and by the way, it's really important to let people know that the news on this changes hourly. Mm. But as of three to four hours ago, um, the street publication, you know, they were reporting that actually we're getting closer to a management shakeup, which is good. And I think that was an inevitability. No matter what happens at this point, I I think that's probably an inevitability just to maintain any form of credibility. and that is going to have the immediate effect of slowing growth, which is not necessarily a bad thing, given um, the, the, you know, you could say the meteoric growth or you could say the chaotic growth. Mm. So slowing that may not necessarily be a bad thing. However, I think one, the feeling coming out of Wall Street right now is actually SoftBank are really motivated to bring well, this IPO before the end of the year, which is three months away because they have... You know, we talk about the investments, but they only become real, um, really. When the market buys in. Absolutely. And, and I don't think it's going to happen. I, yeah. Because I'll tell you why. First of all, one of the reasons they're motivated is because they've, they've borrowed uh, something like $8 billion. Yeah. And their bankers have extracted from them that $3 billion of this will be paid down out of the, market, uh, out of the IPO. So if they don't do the IPO... Is this the line of credit, the $6 billion that has been extended by Goldman Sachs and I think JP Morgan, but it's conditional on, on, the, IPO. on the IPO? Yeah, this is it. And this so, is where SoftBank... So you know, the thing is, SoftBank can't do an IPO now. They, can't, they cannot crystallise a $30 billion loss for their fund. I mean, I think, I think this, this is why they're in so much trouble now because mm-hmm. I think what's going to happen is SoftBank will crater, the actual company itself will crater if they take a 30 billion write down on an investment that they've only just made. And they were trying to do far greater investment, if you remember, only a few months ago, they were talking about making a 16 billion investment. And in the end, they'd made a 2 billion investment. And the company is losing two, I think it's $200,000 per hour. That's that's the rate. They're losing 200,000 Per hour. Per hour. Okay. So that, that's a burn rate that we're, burn we're not rate used to see. two billion a year, and basically. I, yeah. Well, actually, I, I, I was trying to get a handle on some of this. And, okay, explain this to me, if you can. Um, the WeWork, or sorry, the We Company, which is the parent company of WeWork, saw its revenue double, double, by, uh, double to 1.5 billion during the six months ending in June. 
However, during the same period, its operating loss also doubled. This and that's it. to 1.37 billion. Well, that's where that's where Scott Calloway was making the point is he, he kind of said that this company, now that it has the scale that it has, you should see some of the economies of scale creeping in. So as the company doubles its profits, you would have thought that its costs wouldn't have grown by the same margin. But as it goes up every single year, the, the, the losses grow with it. So the company is not reaching the point where it's actually capable of paying, uh, of economising on the scale that it's grown to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a massive problem now. So they're losing two billion a year and their revenues, in fact, there was an article by uh, a guy, uh, it sounds like a pseudonym we were saying earlier, um, Henry Hawkesbury wrote in Medium and it's an article and it looks very much like uh, an inside man and he made some very, very damning reports uh, on how WeWork has actually been booking some of this revenue and that there's there's a lot of kind of things that are going on in the background that would be very dubious. And in fact, he comes out and he says that it is fraud. It is outright fraud. Does he call it fraud? He says fraud, yeah. And he says that this is a big Ponzi scheme and that the that they've been booking all of these profits like by basically, you know, they've, they're taking the assumption that that people, members are going to stay for a year and they're booking that in its entirety instead of taking the monthly kind of income and stuff. So there's a lot of yeah. questionable I, antics. You see, have I to suppose, wonder. You know, I, I'm not sure if Ponzi scheme is the right, you know, is the right one here because the reality is they are taking leases. They are subleasing that. So there is, there is um, an asset being acquired and used and um, there is value being added. I, I think maybe something that is confusing for the real estate industry is that they've built, no, they really built a branded asset without owning that asset. Yeah. And asset light, they call it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and look, we're, we're used to this, you know, now by, by referring to Airbnb not having any hotels and Uber not having any cars. You know, this is something that we're becoming, we're becoming familiar with. Um, but, in a way, the genius lies in its sheer audacious simplicity because, you know, as a professional PR and marketeer, I applaud, but every conversation about brand has to conjure up, not a Ponzi scheme, but the emperor's new clothes, mm-hmm. you know. So what's real and what's not real? We attribute value to these things. Um, so if we if we accept it as real, is it then real? Because I I, I don't think... I don't think we can lose the good that WeWork has done. I think it is a truly innovative um, company. I think it transformed real estate. And, you know, we were discussing it earlier off air. You know, it's a transformation that's not going to go if WeWork goes. Yeah, for sure. um, No, no, co-working is here to stay. mm -hmm. And I think and that and flex working and, Mm -hmm. and what they've introduced is just, but the economic model does not stack in the way that they're going about it. I mean, the reality is, is for every dollar that they earn, 50 cents of that has has actually, it, it's costing them $2 to run the business. 
Okay, now you mentioned to me just one example that that was quoted in one of the articles where they were paying essentially finder's fee. They were paying their, their, their agents, property agents. I, I understand that they were paying 100% commissions to their agents for, for, for finding the property. That, I mean, this is this, this article, Henry Hawkesbury. And so, I mean, anyone who hides behind a pseudonym, you have to wonder, like, is this a hatchet job or is it, yeah. you know, is it genuine facts? But some of the stuff that he's mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, he well... There's some stuff that has been widely reported, okay? So the 5.9 million that Adam got for, for we and stuff. I mean, the reality is, is the company is innovative. They've gone yeah. out there, they've got, you know, they've, they're analyzing data and they're doing a lot of stuff but they're that obviously, we should be doing they're as They're obviously industry. influencing people because people are following. If they didn't, you know, if people weren't following, they wouldn't have the community to be able to do this. Okay, but also so they have there a beautiful is a magic sauce there. I mean, it's, it's a great, it's a magic sauce, but if the reality is, is that they're making two billion in revenue, but they've spent, they've, they've, they've got 47 billion in lease obligations and they've spent, they've spent 12 billion getting there. So they've spent 12 billion dollars and they don't own a single asset. They just have a business. That but what what is that twelve billion capable of generating? Well, it looks like it's capable of generating the two billion, but they've also got the two billion of losses as well. Because don't forget, they've got the rent come to pay on the space. So I mean, like I've looked at individual co-working businesses, and there's kind of a sweet spot. They say around two hundred around 250 people, you can actually start to make it make sense. But you need 250 people in a building. You need about 250 desks occupied for the economies of scale to kind of work. Is the, And these guys have got, you know, huge spaces. So it should be possible for them to actually make money on a unit by unit basis. But that doesn't value the business at 47 billion. I mean, it is valued. I mean, if look at Amazon. Amazon is, is valued at four, four times... It's EBITDA, okay? This valuation for WeWork, I think it's something like 14 times. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's, they're, they're saying that it's far more valuable than Amazon. Yeah. And I don't think that's realistic, to be honest. Yeah, I, look, I, I feel that there's so much more we could go into about this. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to pull out the commentators who were speaking quite, um, I'm not going to say authoritatively, but certainly they're analysing it in a different way. And one of them would be Ellie Feingold. Um, yes. Um, you know, and, and he, he, so, you know, he really honed in on the lack of governance and maybe the persona. I think he the, might have used the word delusional, but the persona. Well, the cult. Adam the cult. The cult. The, yeah, the yeah. whole cult around the individual. And he actually puts in the, the lesson or the adage there, the fish stinks from the head. Mm-hmm. And... You know, it's, I think it's not something we're going to be comfortable with for people who have bought into the hype. I tell you, one of the I think the biggest problem is is that Adam has got huge voting power in the company, mm-hmm. so he controls where the company is going, and yet they need they're losing two billion a year. They only have two billion of cash left apparently. Mm-hmm. So in a year's time, they're going to be out of cash, and the company's going to go bankrupt. So they're going to need to do this IPO, or they're going to run out of cash. But SoftBank doesn't want Adam at the helm any longer. Yeah. So he's going to have to be removed. But if Adam doesn't want to be removed, he can't be removed because he has control of the board. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a meeting. <laughs> I think yeah. fisticuffs is uh, for okay. sure. Well, look, to finish up, I think just to to keep a little bit of balance in this, you know, um, Anthony Slumbers in the UK who... You know, he, he's written extensively about this. And by the way, Anthony is going to be here in Dublin with us um, for 
Techstars Dublin Startup Week uh, mm. for an event for PropTech Ireland on the 24th of October. Great. So we're very excited about that. But Anthony wrote, uh, anybody who knows Anthony knows that he's... Um, <laughs> well, no, but also that he's, um, he would have, he, he draws comparisons to, Art. you know, the great artists yeah. and the great sculptures. And yeah. he wrote a piece called Equally Blessed and Cursed, a Bernini-inspired article. And in it, he said, and I quote, you know, about WeWork, they recognise that the real estate business is no longer about real estate, you know, which is something that that he's passionate and he's spoken um, comprehensively about. But he goes on to say it is, of course, still about real estate, but every real estate um, skills company, the skills for real estate are still necessary, but that's not good enough. That real estate going forward is about real estate and the Internet of Things and data and workplace and absolutely hospitality. It's about creating and curating great customer experiences. And we work very good at this. And in fact, he summarised it there by saying they are so much worse than many real estate companies but also so much better. And I think that sums it up perfectly. But um, look, we're going to go to break now, Gavin. You're going to stay with us in studio and we'll be joined after the break by Ronan Furlong, uh, Chief Exec of DCU Alpha. Everything's fine on 93.9. Dublin South FM. Will you look at them go? I wish I had their energy. Ah, They're good for the soul though, aren't they? I can't imagine life without Lucky, (laughs) but he might outlive me yet. Oh, well, take my advice and sign up for a Dogs Trust Canine Care card. It's completely free, and it's given me such peace of mind since I did. What's that? Well, it's simple, really. It means if you pass away before Lucky, Dogs Trust will take him in and give him the care and love he needs until they match him with the perfect forever home. That sounds terrific. How much did you say it costs? It doesn't cost a cent. Great. How do I sign up? Just text CARE to 50100 and they'll call you with more information. Or you can go to dogstrust.ie. Well, that's wonderful advice. I'll do that right away. Here, Lucky. Good boy. Whatever loan you're looking for, wedding loans, holiday loans, car or home improvement loans, make sure you talk to your local Capital Credit Union where there are no hidden charges or early repayment penalties on your loan. Loans subject to approval, terms and conditions apply, Capital Credit Union Limited, regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Senior Line is a confidential telephone service for older people. Free phone 1800 80 45 91. We're open every day of the year from 10am till 10pm, including Christmas Day and New Year. So it's free phone 1800 80 45 91. We're there if you need someone to talk to and need someone to listen. We're older people too, so we will understand and we're very good at listening. Did you get the senior line number? It's free phone 1800 80 45 91. Your community radio for South Dublin. This is Dublin South FM. Okay, and you're very welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM. I'm joined in studio again by Gavin Gallagher of PropTech TV. And along with us, we have Ronan Furlong, Executive Director of DCU Alpha and Innovation Campus. You're very welcome, Ronan. Thanks. So, Ronan, you're going to talk to us today. Just last week, we covered the story um, about e-scooters and there seemed to have been maybe a lack of clarity around the legislation. Yet... Uh, I think the journal.ie ran a poll that said actually the majority of people want to legalise the use of e-scooters in Dublin. So I know you have 
you have some experience around micro mobility, so you might just give us your take on this. Okay, yeah, th- thanks, Carl. Um, yeah, so so the legalisation of e-scooters is realistically inevitable. It's just really a question of how long it's going to take the system here to get the uh, public consultation that's ongoing out of the way and subsequently develop the appropriate legislation and for the local authorities to develop the appropriate uh, bylaws. Is it a case that we just haven't provided for them in law or have we actually prohibited them? Yeah, so so this is a kind of a classic example of uh, 21st century technology bumping into uh, 19th century legislation in probably a 15th century city. <laughs> so, you know, there's essentially a, a lacuna in the law whereby the uh, kick scooters are classified as something called a mechanically propelled vehicle. And therefore, in theory <coughs> and in practice in legislation, they require, um, you know, tax and insurance and a license in order to be able to drive them. So they are markedly different from their equivalent form factor e-bikes in the legislation, which is just a bizarre kind of anomaly as opposed to anything of design. Right. Yeah, um, no, I don't, I, I don't understand that, and I think the public don't understand that yeah. either. Which we've seen, obviously, the public consultation is ongoing, um, but this poll indicated clearly that people want more solutions. In fact, just this evening, um, just this evening, you were delayed coming over from yeah. ICU. <laughs> yeah. uh, genuinely, though, traffic in the city—it's a problem. And in fact, this morning, uh, this morning, I was just saying, actually, on my way to, on my way to an event that I was. <laughs> actually thought I was 30 minutes late for I was actually 23 and a half hours early for but the same thing you know traffic traffic in Dublin it's such a congested city and for such a small city it's unnecessary yeah and and it's it's really um you know, it, it's it's a it's a question of why haven't why hasn't the car been disrupted prior to this, so to speak? Um, so I I spent probably an hour and fifteen minutes getting here from Glasnevin. Uh, I was just talking to your next guest outside, who spent less time getting from Gory. So uh, I, I think he will definitely want people to hear that because actually we say that all the time that you know Gory is forty five minutes from Dublin, yeah. and people say, oh yeah, right. But yet, you've come from... Absolutely. Gordy's a lot closer to Dundrum than Glasnevin, based on my experience today. There you go. Uh, and really, it's down to the fact that, uh, you know, as a, as a species generally, but uh, as an Irish population in particular, we are using, you know, ton and a half metal boxes to drive very short distances. And really, that's why the car is ripe for disruption. And that's why you're seeing an explosion in micromobility mm. uh, services and solutions. It's the final mile is the, is the big thing they're all trying to solve. I mean, because you, you can get... We have, for example in East Point Business Park we've got the Dart very nearby and it's about 500 metres to the Dart station and it's about another 500 metres to the Lewis stop and so it's not that far but people would prefer not to have to walk it if they're in a rush or if they're kind of in the rain or whatever so guys are starting to come in now on on the scooters and stuff mm-hmm. and I'm seeing every day the scooters flying around there was a guy on an electric skateboard yesterday yeah, boosted uh, board yeah. boosted board yeah. and this is all uh What's happening now, and it's it's the fact that you can kind of pick the thing up and bring it in and put it on your under your desk. You don't need to lock it up to an outdoor rack or whatever. I think those are going to be solutions. The problem is, is whilst it's against the law technically, it's very hard for us as a kind of a corporate entity to to, to go and embrace it. We did have a group come in and they wanted to give us fifty scooters, and so we have about nine thousand people in our park. So fifty scooters. 
you would think that's a pretty good mix. But the problem is, is that they couldn't take them outside the park. So what you'd have is people going from their building to our front gate and then just having to get off the scooter. So you'd end up with 50 scooters at the front gate. Yeah. And it just hadn't been fully thought through. You know? Yeah, and and that's one of one aspect of one of the problems with the overall scooter sharing model. And you know, you're seeing it to some extent with the car sharing as well. So we were with uh, uh, Colin Brady and the guys in Go Car and Europe Car during the week. And you know, one of the critical issues from an operational perspective for any shared fleet operator is uh, the rebalancing of the fleet. Um, but but you know, it, coming back to the issue around you know why it's inevitable. Um, you know, as a species, I think we drive something. Uh, astronomical, like 17 trillion miles per annum. Uh, And while that's a a crazy figure, the real crazy figure is that 60% of those miles are on trips that are less than five kilometres. So that last mile, first mile, or even that intermediate uh, kind of five kilometres is something that uh, could really make a big impact on congestion in the city, in, in Irish cities generally, and subsequently on climate issues and sustainability okay, generally. Okay, so is, is that what you see? Like, Do you see um, these e-scooters or similar coming in really as to supplement public transport as a, yes, you know most thought. people and by the way myself included would say that the reason we don't use public transport is because we, you have to get to public transport or from public transport to where you're going yeah. so public transport isn't comprehensive yeah. in Ireland um, and even in Dublin I think people outside of Dublin think that it is but actually it, it very much isn't so uh, like for example I, I can remember going to um, I was doing a course in Marino College uh, at the weekends and there was no bus from the city centre out to out to Fairview or well out to Marino College on a Sunday morning mm. that would that actually started before nine o'clock. Yeah. So these are so we don't have a comprehensive transport network even within the city. And and look, even if we did have a comprehensive transport network, the integration of the various different modal opportunities mm. would would be an issue that have to be addressed as well. But I think you're starting to see in Europe, especially where uh, micromobility is embraced across all its form factors. Can you explain what you mean by micromobility? Yeah, so, so um, people refer to it in lots of different terminologies, two-wheel power, um, kind of e-mobility, but micromobility would really be looking at zero to five kilometres and the kind of form factors or vehicles that are best for delivering those kind of trips in congested city centres are things like uh, shared by bicycles, uh, shared e-bicycles, shared e-scooters, and then you have personal mobility devices like uh, boosted boards that Gavin mentioned earlier. We're even seeing people flying around Dublin on electric unicycles, believe it or not. Yeah, we'll, we'll Elect- uh, sorry, electric <laughs> unicycles. Yeah, yeah. So the a one wheel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have not I've seen, seen one of those I, yet. I, I was going to work one morning and I left the house and somebody went flying by me on one of these one wheels. And it was the first time I know about them because I've seen them on the internet, but I'd never seen one. I've never... I, have you ever tried an actual unicycle? I have once, yeah. Have you, no, no, and I don't think I ever will. Join the uh, circus. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? Genuinely, I, I tried it, I remember once, you know, two decades ago, because I thought that it must be really simple. It must be just about confidence. You just get up and you go. Turns out it's not about confidence. You don't confidence just get up and you go. <laughs> and talent, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I can only say I was lacking. So I'm just thinking you add power to that. Yeah. Um, so no, I've never seen one. Um, but I would be fascinated to see one. So there are a few in Dublin. Yeah, I've, I'd like so. There's a there's a there's a kind of a, a, a private sort of uh, mobility 
community meetup gathering crowd called E-Ride. You're probably familiar with them, mm-hmm. Gavin. And uh, you might see them in the Phoenix Park of the weekend. And they're on all sorts of different form factors. And I guess this all started maybe uh, 10 years ago with the introduction of, of, the, of the Segway that we remember yeah. from Mall Cop or whatever it might be. Yes. Um, I mean, you're seeing, you're seeing cut-off versions of those now. A- anything with wheels and anything you can put a motor on and anything that's portable or, or relatively small size uh, and lightweight is a micromobility and are these all contrary to current legislation? Uh, apart from the e-bikes, which is obviously a well-understood and historically kind of uh, understood mechanical device, anything new seems to be kind of causing a, a shudder in the system. Um, yeah, so, 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 so what's new is innovative and what's innovative is sometimes looked on a little bit askance. Mm. Okay. Um, again, there just seems to be such a... Uh, lack of joined up thinking here so I, I, I'm i trying to get my head around because I'm not a cyclist so I'm trying to get my head around what's the difference between an e-bike on the road mm-hmm. and an e-scooter yeah so if you if you look at the picture of both uh, mm-hmm. they both have a set of handlebars they both have two wheels and they both have an electric motor uh, really the difference between an e-bike and an e-scooter is that one has pedals and one is is a push is a kick mm-hmm. uh, uh, mechanism so uh, there's really no difference frankly but for whatever reason there's a lacuna in the law that is being interpreted in a certain way and the only way to get over that interpretation is to change the legis- legislation And are you confident that the legislation will be changed? Yeah. Uh, 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 look public consultation I'm, I'm really um, I'm not always convinced and it's something I've spoken about here on the show you know sometimes I think that there's an element of tokenism to the public consultation I don't think it's something that our state does well at the moment however we can see that people want this mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean that, that that will be taken into consideration well, are you confident? Yeah so look I've yet to see any public representative that is against the uh, uh, arrival of e-scooters everyone might have their concerns about you know whether people should be wearing helmets or whether they should be in the bike lanes or on the roads uh, whether they should be speed limited all of those things will be flushed out in the public consultation but at a principal level there's no one against to my knowledge anyway the introduction of e-scooters and particularly shared e-scooter fleets so the individual doesn't have to buy one themselves they can rent them in the same way as they rent uh, Dublin bikes or bleeper bikes or, or a go-car or anything else like that they're very popular in San Francisco. There's a couple of companies there. There's Lime. The, the Fleet. The Fleet. And uh, you just, I think it's like a dollar per ride or something. You just it's grab a, the thing and, and off you go. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a dollar to uh, switch it on, essentially. And then it's, I think, like 15 cent per mile thereafter. So, And the average trip is like two or three kilometers. So they're, they're a relatively cheap and straightforward and uh, really high utility vehicle to you know, get you between A and B in a very quick way in a congested city that doesn't emit a whole heap of car and uh, is not contributing to overall congestion and people wasting their time behind a wheel. The curious, uh, the thing that I'm questioning is, I, I mean, we're all talking about the law and stuff like that, but I mean, there are hundreds of people going around the streets nowadays with these electric scooters. I mean, every day I see at least two or three people flying by. Yeah. And like, are they getting stopped? Are they getting, you know, pulled over? I yeah, there's some, uh, there's some uh, quite funny anecdotes about the whole thing because obviously the guards uh, from one week to the next might turn a blind eye or else be, you know, forced to kind of stamp down on it because they're getting grief off uh, some other road user. Uh, but for example, the the anomaly in the law leads to some very bizarre situations whereby, uh, you know, uh, someone on an e-scooter does face the risk of being stopped by the guards and in some cases... Uh, Um, to my understanding, have been uh, confiscated. Not confiscated. The vehicles have been impounded. 
And the only way to legally impound a vehicle under Irish legislation is to call out the tow truck. So the bizarre situation of like a 15-ton tow truck uh, carting off a, you know, 150 kg scooter. Uh, More like 20 kg. 20 yeah, kg, yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably 50 with some of the riders on it. Um, and then even worse than that, after your scooter gets towed off by a truck and it goes to the pound, you have to go to the pound to reclaim it. You pay the fine and then they won't give you back the scooter unless you can prove that you got tax and insurance. But you can't tax or insure these vehicles because of the gap So is in the that law. happening at the moment? Do we have people whose scooters have been seized? You, you see the stories online. I, I haven't, I've, I've bumped into a few people who've had uh, been stopped and told not to do it again. But uh, there has been a few extreme cases as well, to the best of my knowledge, where uh, the they vehicles must, have they been They must impounded. be stopping them all the time because, I mean, I see so many of them going around. Mm. It must be a waste of well, police time. But you're seeing more and more of them on the streets now because they are, in some cases, the only solution that people have to get from to and from A and B. But, but back to the point about the, the public transport integration, I think what you'll see if Dublin gets this right, uh, especially as shared fleet operators like the Limes and the Birds and indeed the domestic players want to come into the system, if Dublin City and other local authorities get this right, they'll say things like, um, you know, it's not going to be dockless, it's not going to be a free-for-all in terms of parking. We really want you to do point A to point B and point A might be Tyre Street Dart Station and point B might be the forecourts. There'll be nodes through which uh, a network of facilitation of micromobility will be set up as opposed to a free-for-all Wild West, which is what happened in the US and that's why the cities yeah, like that's Portland are pushing back strongly against it at the moment. Yeah, because they, they're getting strewn on the streets, like they become kind of litter almost yeah. where people are tripping over them and, and stuff like that. And know? that's one of the key problems that the that the companies in DCU Alpha are attempting to solve at the front end. Uh, you know, that Wild West scenario where it was impossible to govern or control the shared fleets because the GPS technology in them couldn't accurately locate them. So if you're an operator saying to a rider that you must park in that yellow box, it's impossible to enforce that parking policy because uh, the rider could be two metres outside the yellow box and argue that they were inside and the operator's GPS isn't accurate. And that would be very hard to disprove. So what the companies in DCU Alpha are now developing is centimetre level GPS technology, which will uh, leave no one in any doubt exactly where the device is. Mm -hmm. And if it's two inches outside the designated parking zone, someone could be fined. If it's two inches onto a footpath it shouldn't be on, someone could be fined or kicked off the platform or remotely shut down uh, uh, via the app. So the there's now technologies emerging which will make Dublin as a kind of a second mover in all of this, give them an advantage in terms of how they govern the system and hopefully get this right uh, in a way that other cities haven't got right in the last 12 to 18 months. The, one of the problems that I understand from my, my experience in America is the, uh, is the charging up of them. Yeah. So, you, you, you know, the, the thing is there, it's, it's got a full charge of battery, but at the end of the day, the companies either have to go around collecting them to charge them up. So what they did with Lime, I think, is that they actually have a network of people who will take it home, plug them in at their house, and they are paid for the electricity that they use. So are these like scooter babysitters? Well, it, it, it's, yeah. it's even better than that because there's a whole uh, there's a whole vocabulary built up around this kind of stuff. It's the gig economy, but what, what, wow. what Gavin is talking about in a Lime context are called Lime juicers because they, <laughs> they, they, they charge the vehicle. Uh, and, and, and funnily enough, the people for Bird, their big competitors who rebalance the fleet are actually called Bird nesters because they bring them back to where they're supposed to be starting from their journeys. Right. Uh, you have European companies like Voy and their uh, gig economy operatives or their staff are called Voyagers. So it goes on and on. You right, know. okay. Yeah. <laughs> you can get... For, but but it, it, the, the, you bring up an interesting point. Um, the 
the arrival of a micromobility solution like that on the, into an economy leads to all sorts of ancillary scenarios in terms of the gig economy, the charging, the servicing, the rebalancing of the fleets. Uh, and you really need to think about these technologies and these devices and these vehicles like, uh, you know, uh, if you think about your car as your as your uh, iPad or your PC, these things are like your iPhone. And like your iPhone, there's going to be a whole app economy built up around them mm-hmm. of payment services, mm-hmm. of retail offerings, of data analytics and smart city decisions that can get made off the back of a fleet like that operating in a city. So is all of that just waiting for the legislative change there to will, support it? There will be an absolute explosion on innovation and job creation and uh, benefits in terms of traffic congestion and environment once these things hit the streets in a big way. And do we have a timeline on that? Uh, No is the short answer but if I was a betting man I would think that if I was sitting here this time next year I will have arrived uh, on an e-scooter a shared e-scooter that's illegal. Okay well then then you will be on time and not stuck in traffic and that would be great. Okay that was Ronan Furlong Executive Director of DCU Alpha Innovation Campus and Gavin Gallagher PropTech TV thank you both for joining us stay tuned after the break we'll be joined by Michael Kinsler of Kinsler Estates to discuss the property market in South Wicklow and North Wexford. Your community radio for South Dublin this is Dublin South FM Could you and your dog spend one hour per week bringing special moments to people in care centres? Or would you like one of our volunteer visiting teams to come and visit your care centre? At Irish Therapy Dogs, we have a dedicated interest in the use of pet therapy for people in long-term or daily residential care, a professional organisation aimed at providing a pet therapy service on a national basis. If you with your dog would like to get involved or if you would like one of our visiting teams to visit your care centre, then please call us on 01544-6198 or visit irishtherapydogs.ie for more information. Do you need a professional-looking website or graphics for your company? Does your current website work on all modern devices such as tablets and smartphones? If not, you are losing business. Preamp Digital Media provides a full range of solutions to give your company the edge in today's digital world. Please visit www.preampdigitalmedia.com for all the information you need. That's www.preampdigitalmedia.com I've always provided. That's what I do. Even when the job shut down, I somehow managed. But the pressure chips away at your confidence. I felt alone. I needed to talk things out. I learned Samaritans isn't just for when you hit rock bottom. I'm glad I called. It's always worth getting problems big and not so big off your chest. Call Samaritans. No pressure, no judgment. We're here for you. Anytime, talk to us. Free call 116123 or go to samaritans.ie. Broadcasting to South Dublin on 93.9. This is Dublin South FM. Okay, and welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. In studio with us now, we've Michael Kinsler of Kinsler Estates. You're based in Carnew in Wicklow and Gorey in Wexford. So it's been an interesting time on foot of the most recent My Home report that I mentioned at the top of the show here. We now know that Wexford is the sixth busiest residential market after Dublin, Cork, Kildare, Galway and Meath. So how are you finding things? 
It's quite interesting to see that there. Um, I think Dublin, there was a decrease in the first half of this year of 2.4%, whereas Wexford seemed to have been up uh, 14%, which is very positive, and that's even above uh, Wicklow, the Wicklow area as well. Um, but like, I think a lot of that is to do with our new road infrastructure that we have. Um, mm-hmm. As you're probably aware, the M11 now has been continued with Ferns, Camolan and Inniscorty now, which have been bypassed. But on a daily basis for people commuting to Wexford Town, um, has made a v- massive difference. But even now with people tr- that were commuting down to Gorey, you'd see them now knocking on to say Camolan and Ferns and even on Tanscorty and there's far better value for money as they'll go down along. Yeah, and I think that's maybe something that people don't realise until they try it. So, for example, our last guest in studio uh, came from the DCU Alpha campus in Glasnevin and it took him longer to get here than it took you to get from where Karen, you or Gorey? I left Gorey office at quarter past five. I think he left last Nevin at quarter to five and he said he was here about ten past six. I left the office at quarter, five, quarter past five and I was in the studio here at quarter past six. Okay, so this time. is, but this is really testing the metal of it. You know, we've been, you know, we've been saying to commuters over the last number of years that um, South Wicklow and North Wexford really 45 minutes on the motorway and that's obviously subject to traffic. But I think what's really interesting is that it's subject to traffic at peak, you know, uh, avoiding peak traffic times. Whereas in Dublin, Dublin seems to be getting increasingly congested at all times. All day long. Uh, and I think maybe that's one of the differences. But just in terms of the residential market, um, I thought the My Home report was interesting because it talked about activity and Wexford is one of the areas where sales activity has increased since last year. So, um, and, and that's not true um, of, of um, other counties um, particularly outside of the commuter belt. So what profile of buyers are you seeing at the moment? Well, again, um, a lot of our buyers around the Gorey Carnew area are um, commuting mostly. But like 70% of our buyers would be commuting from Dublin. 70? Uh, 70%. Um, like, as I say, rental-wise there, as you know yourself, the rental market up here, um, she'll get nothing for, say, 2000 a month. Whereas then with us there, you'll get a lovely three-bed semi in Gorey for, you'll have change out 200000 and like the mortgage, and that's probably working out at 750, 800 a month. So I do see that where people now have the flexibility of working from home a couple of days a week. And like we have a great um, transport infrastructure also with a bus every hour, every hour on the hour. And our train, train goes twice in the morning, twice in the evening also. Okay. And is that being used locally? Because, you know, we know that say, um, the same will be said of Carlo, which is arguably now further away, but there was difficulties that public transport wasn't being used and there was a a cultural shift that needed to happen in line with um, the population spreading outside of the capital. Is that happening now? Back to, say, where our offices are in Carnew, County Wicklow, it's a bit more rural there, but like it's another 15 minutes outside Gorey. But like that's the 15 minutes that I'd see people that wouldn't buy a house, say, in that particular area because of the commute. But there's other people there who have flexible hours and they don't mind going that extra 15 minutes and they're probably getting... For a three-bed semi that they're getting in Gorey, they'll get a four-bedroom detached in those rural, rural, more rural villages 15, 20 minutes further out from Gorey. So you can go from a three-bed semi to a four-bed detached for an extra 15 minutes Drive, in exactly, the day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and in terms of um, infrastructure, our school supports, you know, for people who are moving out of the capital, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, house prices, um, houses are more available for, for a starter, they're more affordable, um, the quality is likely to be better and... There's a knock-on effect here in terms of quality of life. So 
have family amenities, have they kept pace with this? You know, are the school places there? If people move down and move their family down, are there primary school places? Are there secondary school places? There is indeed. Um, to actually educate together now is there four years. We've Crea College, which is there five years also. Both of those schools went in around... This, within a year of each other and they're also on the new link road which is bringing people from the outskirts of Gorey where you won't if you're commuting every day you won't have to go through the main street of Gorey you can actually come down the outskirts and it's again to avoid traffic and keeping it off the main street yeah. but again there, there's an, another new national school also so that's in the last five years there now and it seems very promising in regards to schools we have good education facility there and then as well as that the beaches are so close by also yeah well, you, you, you've the natural advantage there down at the southeast. The maximum numbers, a number of sunshine hours per year, as well as some of the best beaches. So that's a natural advantage that you have when it comes to buying and selling property in that area. But just back to your buyers, seventy percent are commuters. Are they almost all first-time buyers? Are they you, people trading up buyers. and down? Um, some people trading down also. But like then a lot of that then, as I say, as you know, we're close to Courtown, Ballymoney, Ballygarrett, down as far as Kimokridge Blackwater, which there's a huge amount of holiday homes also. Now, that's something you spoke to us about, um, you know, maybe six months ago when you were last in studio with us. And I think it surprised, it certainly surprised myself and um, Brian Fox here in the studio that the holiday home market, that it, it seems to operate almost independently to what's going on in the rest of the residential market. Is that indeed. still the case? Um, I still, I'm 15 years in Gorey now since 2003 and um, there's people I've met that bought houses off me back or in the last 10 years when their kids were three and four years of age and now the kids are 18, 19 years of age and they're moving on because they're not using the house anymore. The kids are in college, they're not coming down anymore. I have a lot of that going on where just every 10 years people change. But are the buyers there for those houses? They are indeed, yes. Okay. And again, um, mortgages and cash buyers also a good mix. Okay, and are, are all those buyers, are they almost all living in Ireland for the yes, holiday homes? Yes, definitely, yeah. And are they living lo- relatively locally or are they kind of coming from Dublin? Are they coming from other places? Mostly Dublin. Um, as I say, because again, down to the road infrastructure, um, what happens, I see commonly happening over the summer months where the the mother would come down with the kids for the whole week mm-hmm. and the dad would come down Friday evening and he'd go back to work on Monday morning there. But the kids would spend their most summers down in Wexford for the y- summer. You're describing, you're describing my childhood, except my dad was a dairy farmer, so he didn't get to come down on Friday and leave on a Sunday. He used to come down after morning milking and then go home in the evenings to do the evening milking. I, I don't know when he ever slept, but um, you're describing my summer holidays there. And that's that's a reality, I think, maybe on the side of the property market that people don't see and realise. And so in terms of what you're listing at the moment, actually, sales activity, what's that like at the moment? I mean, are things moving? Because we know in Dublin, particularly anything, you know, I, I think maybe six months ago we were saying anything above kind of 650, 750 was slow to move. Now it seems like anything above 500 might be slow to move and with the help to buy scheme there's certainly you know there was rumblings although I think that has now been been put to rest but there were rumblings that maybe the help to buy limit would be decreased meaning that anybody looking for homes newly built homes would be going outside of the capital um, so I, I suppose what, I, what I'm trying to find out is what kind of stock is available at the moment and are you having there is, the a level good, of activity. there is a good selection of stock and again we can see what our competition um, are getting there over the last well, we can see on a week to week basis but like, it seems that a lot of new property has came on the market to be fair in the last two or three weeks and what kind of properties are they? again a good mix um, at the moment 
uh, stuff with us up to 250,000 is moving quite well but it's the property that's say over 250 when you're at the 350, 400 they tend to slow back a bit That's interesting um, and that's yeah. the same to see it in Dublin like, it's a bigger money but uh, again up to 250 the first time buyers are still not really being affected like a new three bed semi down in Gorey now is working out at say 260, 265 but you can actually buy a three bed semi detached house 10 years old for the guts of 190, 200 In and the like, same area? Same Gorey in Gorey Go- Town but yeah. just different estates but um, like people are for this whole rent to, for mm. the help to buy scheme, like they're given that probably extra premium of fifty five to sixty thousand for a brand new A rated house. But like mm. you look at those houses that are ten years old for one hundred and eighty, one hundred ninety thousand. We even have three beds in River Chapel Court Town, which is just five minutes out. But there's yeah, I can get you a house in Beachside. There are three bed mid there from one hundred thirty thousand range up to uh, one eighty five for a three bed semi detached. So realistically, just for anybody listening in. Um, and hearing that y- you're selling three bed houses for 130,000. What age, what condition, you know, what's the setup? What's the what's the estate like? There's a couple of estates now we've worked heavily on over the years. Uh, Beachside is one of them in River Chapel. The other is River Chapel Wood. And again, three beds starting from 130 up to, I can get you a four bed semi in there for 148, 149. And what's the area like? Is there a sense of community? Are there schools? Within yeah, a short both distance? estates now again just they're unfortunate they were built in the good times so okay. over the last few years there was probably a good few of the houses that have been empty and probably were derelict but in the last two three years sales have the banks stuff that was there has sold off in those bigger yeah. estates new people have came in there's residence committees in them and it's a very positive lift to the whole two, there's two special, two developments of 350 houses each go to Goreed same thing a couple of the bigger developments same thing a lot of stock there that was there in the bad times it's all sold now and it's grand to see new owners coming in cleaning up the garden painting up the houses there and all it's a very positive effect on the whole estate I think that's really interesting to hear the difference between the new bed or sorry the newly built so using the help to buy scheme um, the newly built that there would be such a premium on it particularly at that level because that's huge you know you're talking about you know, uh, paying an extra 30% or you know 25 to 30% for and a newly built for something that was built 10 years ago so it's not like you're comparing an old derelict house with, no, not, with something not, new not at all. Um, and that's is that something that's attractive, say, to first time buyers who are returning to Ireland or um, maybe for whatever reason don't qualify for the help to buy scheme, whether they have been, um, you know, maybe one or other of the buyers aren't like, first time buyers? Well, what I would say to those people is like the three bed semis are, um, that are 10, 15 years old, they all have an injury rating of C3 to C1. Like to bring that up to another category there, um, talk about putting a solid fuel stove, upgrade the windows, mm-hmm. pump the walls, a new self-condensing burner. And like you're not far off for a premium of seven or 8,000 there. And we're talking about the gap from a second hand house to a new house of 60,000. I'm saying the house for 10 or 15 years old put in seven or eight grand and you won't be long about having up to a B, B rating yeah. and A to B there's not a big difference Yeah in terms of energy consumption, energy consumption. And, and monthly billing that's an interesting and in terms of rural properties um, are there many of those coming on the market at the moment so say if you want to move away from the, the developments and the housing estates is there much coming up rurally? Well, like we, we cover from say Shalala in County Wicklow down as far as Blackwater in County Wexford and like that's where our viewings would be on Saturday say well, our day to day drive and um, like there's a good bit of road property coming up the older cottages there last week we sold a three bedroom cottage um, in Inch which is at the Dublin side of Gorey there on two acres That's um, close to a lovely beach isn't it? Clone Beach quite yeah. close to Clone Beach and again Clone Beach we got a three bed bungalow in that was probably about 35 years old 
um, in walking distance of the beach. It, from the, if anyone knows that area, the Golden Anchor Pub, and down to the beach, halfway down there on the right-hand side, a three-bedroom bungalow. It's called Olinda. We had that one on the market for two weeks. We put it up for 215, and we just agreed to sale on it there quite close to 100,000 over the weekend. To how much? 200,000. And it was on the it was on it went on the market at two fifteen. Two fifteen, and we just we got two hundred, but it was on the market two weeks. Um, as a matter of interest, why did the vendors take fifteen under the asking price after such a short period of time? Just they were happy with the happy offer. Happy enough with the, with the offer. Move um, the offer came in at one ninety first, and we got up to two hundred there. And the same property was a three bed bungalow, lovely, thirty years old, but did need modernisation. But was it was it uh, livable? It needed modernisation. You see, in terms of a mortgage, because. We know now that actually it's very difficult to get um, certainly stage payments to renovate a property. So for most people, if they're going in, it has to be suitable for a mortgage company to say, yeah, you know, we'll advance on this. And then any work is done at their own expense. So who went, who bought that one? Can you tell us? uh, Cash buyer. Cash buyer. Cash buyer. And like they're willing to To live in or invest? To live in. Okay. Um, And again, like 30, 35,000 will do an awful lot as upgrading that property. Are you seeing many investors at the moment? Previously, yes, but not as much now. They seem to have joined the scheme that was there four to five years ago when they bought it and kept it for five years. They could sell it for tax, sell it tax free. There was a lot of that now, back then, but not as much investors nowadays. We have sold um, bits of land there to investors recently, yes. Um, now, when you say land, do you mean agricultural, agricultural development? Agricultural land, between 20 and 25 acres. Uh, we've sold a few bits like that recently. And are, are these investors who are kind of buying speculatively... Because, like, does that land have development value or are they at looking at it for the agricultural value? site potential, but they're not making any more land. That's the way people are looking at it. I love that. You know, it, it wouldn't be a property matter show if we didn't have, they're not making any more land. That's exactly Correct. it. And just, I, I suppose, very quickly to sum up, um, you know, that's the residential market. Is there anything happening in the commercial? There has been a few commercial properties come on to the main, well, along the main street in Gorey there now and there seems to have been good demand for them. Um, and again, like every if you go if you go up from Gorey's bottom to the top, there might be maybe one shop unit vacant. And like if you look at a shop chair four weeks on, there's always someone else in it. And like that just goes to show. There's so not, businesses are thriving. They're going very well in Gorey, to be fair. Yes. Okay, that's interesting. All right, that was Michael Kinsler of Kinsler Estates. Um, thank you. For thank, you. Ju- thank you for joining us today. That's it from us in studio. And um, again, get in touch with us by emailing hello at iProperty Radio or Twitter at iProperty Radio. We'd like to thank all of our guests for being in the studio today and also thanks to Danny Hickey on sound. We're back at the same time next week from myself, Carl Tallon. Have a great week. 